Good evening. How are you doing? You all right? It's really hilarious, you know, that... Um, so, uh, the family are in. It's never easy when the family's in because they know me. <laughs> uh, the Andrew Hislop that leaves his underpants on the side of the... Was that too much? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Socks by the side of the bed. Yeah. Saying to Ben, would you, t where's Ben? Where is he? Where's he gone? Has he run that way, didn't he? Ben, tidy your bedroom. And then me walking past Jasmine's bedroom when the door's open, and then I go, close the door and don't look in. So this is, uh, was that a little bit too much, Jazz? Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, and also, uh, I'm at that age as well where these are varifocals. Can I just say, don't bother with varifocals. I just find them such a nuisance. Who else wears varifocals? You've just given your ages away. Yeah, yeah. I just, I'm, I just. So I'm actually going to put my reading glasses on. I panicked for a moment because I thought I didn't have them. Uh, and then what I'd have to say would be really, really brief. Uh, which most of you would have gone, yeah, that's great. <laughs> let's, let's go. Um, yeah, so the Apostles' Creed. It's really interesting listening to the music and the songs and the prayers. Uh, and sitting at the back and you're like, oh my goodness, it's like, you don't really need my message because we've sang the message. Uh, and, you know, your prayers just all touch on, on the message. And I suppose that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. Uh, so what I've done, ladies and gentlemen, is I have, so that I don't go off point. Uh, what do you mean good? Yeah. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Yeah, good. Yeah. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah. You saved yourself there, John. Um, uh, I put it on my iPad, so I, I follow some notes. Is that all right? Just say yes, Andrew. Yes, Andrew. Yeah, there's a, a relief. What a relief. And, and if, if we were going to, do you know, flies. All right, in our house, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jasmine, but fly swats. Get yourself a good fly swat. Uh, I'm probably going to upset a few people, but I'm afraid I'm a fly swatting ninja in our house. I kid you not. You only have to ask my family. We've got three fly swats. And three's not enough. And there is a fly in this church. It's been buzzing around. So I may get distracted. Uh, and I apologize in advance. Um, and I probably will. Uh, if I was going to uh, give this a title, and it's going to be a title, I suppose, The Shrouded Promise. Um, we're looking at um, the Apostles' Creed, uh, specifically uh, conceived of the Holy Spirit, um, born of the Virgin Mary. Now, we can visit, which I did. I did my homework, John. I went to the churchofengland.org website. That's the first time I've ever done that, and that is the last time I'm going to go on that website as well. Hey, uh, it didn't inspire me at all. Uh, sorry, but it, it didn't. I was like, dude, you need to work on your website. Um, but anyway, I went on to the website, and uh, you can find an explanation as to the Apostles' Creed, um, what it is, uh, why it's used, and uh, its frequency, um, uh, and why it's frequently used here today and, and in the past. Uh, and let me quote from it. It says, people who were preparing for baptism in the early centuries of the Christian church learned a short summary uh, of what Christians believe. Uh, one version became accepted as the Apostles' Creed because it was thought to include the essential 
teaching of the 12 apostles, um, Jesus' earliest followers. Uh, and it was into that faith of the apostles uh, that Christians were uh, and are baptized. Can I recommend, if you haven't, to read the book of Acts? That fly, man. Uh, the book of Acts is an incredible book that um, is post um, the death and uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and there is some crazy stuff in that book, which is just amazing to read. Uh, and so uh, I'd recommend, you know, pick up the book of, book of Acts and, and look at the apostolic ministry. It's, it's astounding. Uh, could we put the creed up? Awesome. Right. I hope what I'm about to read is the same. Um, I believe in God, the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, uh, descended to the dead. I'm glad I'm not doing that one. Uh, on the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And tonight we're going to be exploring uh, line four and five of the creed. I did an exercise with, um, with the creed because I do a little bit of teaching on Shakespeare, uh, and it's not iambic pentameter, so I was rather disappointed. Um, and I would like to perhaps take a, a slant, an approach to lay down some context um, to, to this, and in particular to the challenging concepts, uh, i.e. conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of uh, the Virgin Mary. And the context, tonight's context, it's all about um, observations. What lies in what I'm going to call tonight the shrouded promise? Now, within Christian tradition, God the Father had spoken of a promise that finds its origins close to the beginning of time itself. The promise, in some respects, was shrouded in, in theological debate but it is a promise nonetheless, and a promise that is anchored in God's absolute intent to call his children to himself. Now that promise is viewed and interpreted by the Christian tradition in Genesis chapter 3, and it involves the Garden of Eden, the serpent, Eve, Adam, God, cherubim, uh, that's plural, uh, and a flaming sword. We are all more than likely familiar with the story uh, of Eve and Adam uh, and what is referred to as the fall, that it is God who offered freedom, liberty to Adam and Eve to live, to inhabit, rule, and develop all that was around them. So much is given so much offered with so much liberty and freedom, but with one restriction. And let's read, it's um, Genesis chapter 2, and I'll just read it. It says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, uh, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat you shall surely die. Now the story continues with Adam realizing, with the help of God, uh, his incompleteness. Uh, and Eve is brought forth, made, interestingly, not from the ground of the earth like the animals, but from Adam's own material from his side. And it is Eve that is approached in this story by the serpent created by God, which raises a whole bunch of questions, including why was the serpent in the garden in the first place? But that's not where we're going today. And the serpent asks some questions. He says, well, he basically calls God a liar. Let's read from Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the tree in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or else you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. About 30 years ago, I wrote a short play about this, uh, and it went something like, Friends, Romans, yes, it is Shakespeare. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears, for I have come to bury the living among the dead. The accuser is my name and lying is my game. So stay a while and learn my style. For I am the master, there is none like me who has the power to deceive. So come, come closer, all you who are around. So please, please enter and sit yourself down. We should do that one day. Anyway, that's me going off one. What I want to draw out from this story is what is traditionally believed within Christendom as the first reference or prophetic resonance of the coming of Christ or the first anticipation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God passes judgment on Adam and Eve. They are expelled from Eden. But it is what is said to the serpent that points to Mary and the coming of Jesus Christ. I'll read. God says, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This talks about hostility between the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. The crushing of the head of the serpent by Adam is in one view, I suppose, a prophetic resonance, words that ripple through Eve's offspring to the ultimate demise of the serpent and all it represents and stands for. The striking of the heel represents that victory, winning, success is not without suffering or cost. The crushing of the head of the serpent is not without sacrifice. And this is linked in Christendom tradition 
to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so within some Christian tradition, there echoes within the scriptures of old a shrouded promise. We sang of promise earlier. But a promise nonetheless that echoes from the voice of God to the seed of man and the seed of the serpent. And that echo, that promise, is for so many, for all of us, and is the promise of Jesus Christ. There are other examples which we won't go into in great detail, but um, let me reference Abraham uh, in Genesis chapter 2. Abraham and Isaac, you may well know the story uh, when he almost sacrifices his son and um, God gives him a command um, to come out, again I'm paraphrasing, um, bring your son, and he does with two servants, uh, and they travel for three days, again curious that it's three days, and on the third day uh, they come to Moriah, and uh, they find the place. Um, he takes his son and is about to sacrifice his son. And then God speaks through the angel of the Lord. Um, and God recognizes something in the heart of Abraham. And let me just quote. Genesis chapter 22 says, The angel of the Lord called out to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son. How does that not resonate, Jesus Christ? I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And th through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And it is of the offspring of Abraham that Jesus comes forth, the shrouded promise resonating prophetically through time and through the scriptures. And then there's another example in the book of Isaiah. There are plenty, but that too also resonates prophetically the promise. And it's one that we may be familiar with. Let me just read it very quickly. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and on his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. My point is, there is a promise. The point is, the promise verberates through the written word. And that word and that promise is God with us or Emmanuel. So what is the point in picking those elements up. And the point is this. We come to a promise. The fulfillment of the actual promise. And this is where we come to the Apostles' Creed. Um, I'll start actually from just the line before. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only 
Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived and birthed from a promise. This section of the creed is birthed from a place of a promise and a divine promise at that. It dawned on me only about two hours ago how Eve came from the flesh of Adam by the hand of God himself. God forged Eve. And let that sink in for a minute, particularly with the challenges in this day and age within the church about the importance of women and women speaking. For some people, that's, a, that's an issue. God forged Eve with his bare hands and not even from the soil. Anyway, that's a separate thing. But the new Adam, Jesus, came from a woman by the same hand of God. The creed provides also absolute definition. It defines who the Savior is. It defines that there is only one Son who is our Lord. And this is crucial. How much more time have I got? <laughs> now this is crucial, um, and I, I may finish on this. This is really crucial, and I'll read from the book of Revelation. There is an incredible prophetic moment in Scripture, a moment when all heaven and earth is given the opportunity to speak. Who is worthy to approach the throne of God, to stand at the center of God's throne and open the scroll to usher in the new era, the new life that you mentioned and the new promise. And I'll just read it, which I think is outstanding. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside, on the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals on the scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And if you've got a moment to, to read that, Revelation uh, chapter 5, it is a fascinating thing. What else about the creed? The ordinary meets the extraordinary. 
And equally crucial is how the conception by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, how Jesus is brought into the world. The ordinary and the extraordinary meet at the conception of Christ. But why does this matter? Is the fulfillment of the promise not enough? Well, the promise of God is deeper, higher, and wider than any could have imagined. Being born of Mary points to his humanity. His conception by the power of the Holy Spirit points to his divinity. Conceived of the Holy Spirit introduces, finally, a new family, a new family line, a new offspring, new descendants. Faith in Jesus Christ calls us out from the curse of Adam and into adoption. This is direct relationship with God, a direct offspring with God through Jesus Christ. We are no longer in the line of Adam, but we are in the line of Jesus Christ. And this is why the term being born again is so important to understand and to be embraced. Being born again is exactly that. A new birth, it's like receiving a new birth certificate, as it were, removing us from the consequences of death in our lives into a new life and a new identity through Jesus Christ. Something I often refer to is in the book of John, in the first chapter, there is something that is often missed. And if you've heard me say this again, I do apologize. And I'll paraphrase it. It says this, being born of God, not being born because of the desire of a mother, i.e., I want to have children, or the desires of a father, I want to be a dad, and looking at your children and going, you are mine, but being born of God, I am 100% convinced that there is an identity in Jesus Christ to be found and to be discovered that is greater than what even your mother or your father believes for you. And that identity is something that is a promise of old that was uttered in the scripture, scriptures and that has resonated through time and is birthed through Jesus Christ. And so when God says, come to me, he wants to give you that new life, that new identity. Let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you take my ramblings. I pray that you take what I have painted on the fabric of the imaginations of those this evening that have had ears to hear, to touch hearts and minds and souls and to understand that you are a God of promise, that you have placed seeds in each and every one of our lives that may take time but those seeds of promise are there nonetheless. And as you have spoken prophetically through your scriptures, through time, through generations, through years, through 
decades and centuries. I pray that you'll speak today and speak to us in the time that we have and call us to yourselves so that we can find an identity in you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.